so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. New technologies are changing the experiential landscape at a lightning pace, and the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of virtual events, augmented reality, and immersive digital experiences. In this panel from Advertising Week Europe 2022, join executives from Hearst and Epic Games for a conversation about the next steps in experiential storytelling. Thank you for joining us. Um, we're here to talk about uh, a term you've probably never heard before, which is the metaverse. Um, so I'm sure you're all here wondering, what is this crazy phase that they're going to talk about? So before we get into the topic of our discussion today, I'm going to read some very impressive bios. And there's going to be a lot of my voice for the next maybe two to three minutes. So what I would like to do is after every bio that I read, we're all going to go, way to kind of break it up. So that's the participation that I need. Um, so are we ready? Yes. 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 Okay. First we have Claire Hodgson. Claire is Editor-in-Chief of Cosmo UK, formerly the brand's digital director, and she has worked in the media industry for over 13 years, specializing in cross-platform content from print digital to social and video. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> And then next we have Sally Ann Houghton, is Unreal, yeah, yes. It is not in the panel order now. I'm just going with my sheet order. Um, uh, is Unreal Engine business development fashion M&E based at the Epic Games London Innovation Hub, a lab for the creative community helping customers to generate real-time content and solution using Epic Games Unreal Engine software. Prior to Epic, Salian worked at Content Creation Studio, working with high-profile and luxury brands to create tech-driven creative content, including AR, VR, and immersive pieces, along with live action and CG animation. Hey. Uh, one more time. Way. That's a bio. Oh, that true. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have Mark. Mark McCafferty leads the UK and Global Creative and Experiential Division at Hearst, Hearst Connect, and Hearst X, which I suspect we're going to hear more about shortly. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Hearst Connect is the creative solutions department who are responsible for driving a, a connection for advertisers across Hearst UK's 21 brands and across a raft of innovative product solutions. Hearst X is the exploration division focusing on delivering immersive physical and digital experiences for advertisers harnessing the power of the Hearst brands. <laughs> and last but not least, Maria Bain leads audience intelligence at iCrossing, helping strategists to focus their clients' digital marketing through audience-first, action-oriented insights that inspire step change and optimize performance. She has a wealth of experience working with global brands on large-scale social engagement and omni-channel activation campaigns. Way! <laughs> now let's chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all behind you, by the way, Martin. I just... Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not all the bits I read. I'm joking. Oh, and I'm Martina Lisi from My Crossing. <laughs> um, so, to kick off, Sally Ann, we're here talking about a term that we've used a lot lately. Um, and so, we're really good to know specifically what you feel like brands and women are doing. So, let's start with the basics of talking about how we're talking about the metaverse. Um, yeah, thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. I, um, <laughs> I used to talk to people 
about eight months ago, and I try not to use the word metaverse because I, I kind of thought, gosh, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like a dick, basically. I don't want to be like bamboozle <laughs> them. I don't want to have to overexplain it. Um, but you know, it was something that was very much on our consciousness at Epic, and then suddenly now everyone's using it in every possible way. Um, and to be honest, most of the time I feel as if it's being used incorrectly. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the metaverse forever because we could use 30 minutes doing it, but. The metaverse, um, as it has been written about and as it has been talked about, is the evolution of our digital existence. So at the moment, our digital existence very much lives on screens. We kind of scroll left and right. Um, we access information. We contact our friends. It's social. It's informative. So the metaverse is going to be the next step, um, or maybe even three or four steps in that contact with digital worlds in a 3D in a 3D way. So the metaverse is real time 3D. Um, it is experience driven. It's immersive. It, the metaverse concept will have a robust economy. It will be interoperable, which means that you will be able to move freely as an avatar with your possessions. You'll be able to go from one experience to the next to um, meet with your friends easily and freely and so a lot of these you know a lot of these ingredients don't exist at the moment but there are small glimpses of what a metaverse could be uh, should be would be uh, and they they very much live in the gaming community so I'm going to use Fortnite as an example because it's it you know it is the game that I probably know the most about <laughs> um, and the Fortnite is probably a glimpse at the metaverse because yes it is a game it is uh, an interactive, immersive, three-dimensional space that operates in real time, which means that if you have an action, there is a, a reaction that the, the, the environment, the landscape will change as a result. It is a social platform. Um, it has a very high number of participants. The metaverse is supposed to have no cap on number, um, but it is very much a social community-driven environment. It is entertainment-driven. It's all about engagement. And so Fortnite is a game, but it also is a concert when we see fit. It is an art gallery when we see fit. It's got lots of different experiences that are all layered within the space that you can participate within. And it will expand and expand and expand. So I could go on. I'm not going to stop there. Hopefully that kind of like gives us enough of a rounding of, a, of an understanding. Lovely. Um, and from an audience point of view, Maria, what does it mean to different audiences, would you say? Um, I think... Well, different audiences, the meaning of the metaverse will be in their experience of it and the context in which they go to the metaverse and experience the metaverse. Um, and as Sally Ann said, there is a multitude of different ways in which users can experience the, the meta, metaverse. Now, you said it so many times, I've forgotten the word. But I said multiverse. Um, the metaverse, sorry. Um, and I think it's the meaning will come from the context in which audience are, are experiencing that. So be it virtual events, be it games, um, be it buying um, NFTs, which we definitely will not be going into today. <laughs> um, that context is going to be the meaning in which um, it is given to different audiences. And I think because it is such an open, beautiful world, um, it can be as diverse, inclusive and um, creative as the people entering it. 
Um, but I think what we need to remember is that 33% of British um, people do not understand what the metaverse is, even after being given an explanation. So I think it is our privilege and joy to bring in more audiences and more um, consumers into the world and make it an even more inclusive place and bring that context and culture to more people's lives um, where they can be really truly themselves. There's no limit to the creativity that can be had um, in the metaverse and it's such a wonderful um, place and it, and it can mean so many different complex things. I mean, I, for one, I think probably in the future you could probably get a job in the metaverse. Mm. Um, I read an article the other day about um, selling real estate there. Mm. So, that, I mean, the, the metaverse is the limit. Mm. <laughs> um, so, Claire, um, Cosmopolitan, I keep saying Cosmos quicker. I, That's fine. I say <laughs> um, so, Cosmos celebrating its 50th anniversary mm -hmm. this year, which is amazing. And um, naturally to get to 50 you need to innovate and you need to evolve so it'd be good to know how you feel the cosmo audience now where they are and how they're using new platforms and technology mm. i mean as you say to you know to get a very iconic and kind of household name print brand like cosmopolitan to 50 years um, requires constant evolution and, and innovation. So, um, you know, a lot has changed over 50 years. And even in the eight years I've been on the brand, it's, you know, day and night, some of the changes we've seen. So, you know, even the website launched back in 2006. And I think it was about 2011, we were doing about 260,000 users a month. Um, flash forward to 2022, and we're averaging about 16.5 million users a month. So the digital growth of the brand has been amazing. Uh, we've also kind of built up video, for example, from scratch in the last five years, and we're now averaging about 40 million video views. So there's just been that constant progression um, and the adoption then of new platforms. Obviously, we are a young women's brand. We're very much appealing to, yes, millennials, but also obviously now Gen Z, who are constantly using tech and they are at the forefront of innovation. So we have to be too. So, you know, that has involved lots of new launches over the years. So in 2015, I oversaw the launch onto Snapchat when that um, app was still really in its nascent stages. And we now have over 1.5 million subscribers on that. And like the numbers on Snapchat blow my mind every day, <laughs> the scale, you just think, wow. Um, and even like TikTok, you know, we've kind of leapt into that over the last year and a half and seen huge growth there. But we very much always take with new tech this kind of test, learn and evolve as we go and just try and get the whole team involved and just see it as, as fun because that's the way our audience are using it. So it definitely sounds like you would describe the Cosmo audience as, as early adapters of of this yeah, kind of technology. Yeah, absolutely, I think. Um, you know, we see that in the quick uptake of these audience sizes. You know, the growth can be so quick and so great. We know that they are just always at the forefront, you know, and it's even on platforms like Instagram, as we've seen, you know, over the last few years, you know, stories has been brought in, then there's been IGTV, then there's been Reels. So um, we really notice how quickly they flock to these new things because they want to be trying new stuff. You know, there's, there's so much to pull their eyeballs all over the internet and the digital world that, they're so interested in seeing what's the new thing and, and, and what's the new kind of innovation that they can experience. I'm going to ask you a question that is on my list because it's come to me, so I'm really sorry, but I think you can answer it. So when you're, so you just talked about, you know, Snapchat coming on board and then mm -hmm. TikTok evolving that. Do you see, are the audiences staying the same across all those platforms or can you see them gravitating to different ones? I mean, it, it definitely varies. We, we think a lot about the way, you know, the bra it, we very much see Cosmopolitan as a brand now. You know, it is a media brand. It's not just a magazine. That's a really important part of our brand. But 
the way our content has to travel and the way the brand needs to be activated across different platforms has to be really different because you do see different, very different user experiences and, and, and sort of ways of digesting content across each platform. So, and then, as you said, you know, there are slightly different demographics. I think people sometimes wrongly believe, you know, Snapchat is all 13 year olds and it, it very much isn't actually we have quite a good audience spread on snapchat but yes obviously snapchat probably skews a little bit younger than the print part of the brand does mm. so um yeah we we think a lot about that about how a piece of content is going to travel and how the user is going to engage with it differently across these different activations of the brand and so in terms of the the evolution of, of cosmo and, and um, embracing technology different platforms mm -hmm. how has that influenced the event side of the portfolio uh, yeah, I mean, massively, you know, we had a very, very successful events business before the pandemic, but like every other brand had to very quickly adjust and decide how we were going to make that um, work in a very virtual space. So what we kind of always try and do with our events um, is make them super useful to people. Um, I think, you know, the, yes, they need to be fun and entertaining, but I think particularly during the pandemic, we want it to feel really useful and really accessible, which obviously, as we've touched on, is an important part of the, the metaverse. Um, so we actually launched a careers festival, which was a series of completely free webinars that was all about giving our audience who was struggling to find work or going through a lot of professional changes access to great career expertise. Um, and we very quickly saw huge signups. We had 12,000 people sign up to these webinars and 91% of them said they'd be really interested, in, really interested in attending more events like that in a virtual space. So obviously that's led us on quite nicely to thinking about, well, what's the next step with our events? Nice. Um, so Mark, we've heard so much about um, what Cosmos is doing and the new platform. So what is next in terms of the new platforms that Cosmos is going to be dabbling with? Uh, well, next we have the first thing we're going to be launching this year is our first immersive world on Roblox, which is called the uh, Cosmo Summerverse. And I think there's an image that we can share can I just say before you continue that I'm probably one of the largest investors in Roblox. <laughs> My seven-year-old owns mansions and ball gowns and dogs. Like she has a whole very expensive life to fund. And you'll yeah. probably be and living off that in a, in a few <laughs> years' time. Uh, yeah. So I mean, this is this is our first kind of foray into uh, into into immersive worlds, and obviously with Roblox. And as you can guess by the title, the Summerverse it is going to be summer all year round. It's about the only time place in the UK where you can actually guarantee the weather. I think full time. <laughs> it should be lovely. Uh, the, the key part about it is to allow our readers and our uh, Cosmo uh, users to basically explore a world like they have never done before. So explore Cosmo in a completely different way. And what we've done is take you know, the core components of what makes Cosmo Cosmo and bring them to life in this world. So things like there's going to be a, a fashion and beauty street where you can shop and customise uh, your avatar. There's going to be a beach where you can sit and relax and have you know mocktails or cocktails, <laughs> whatever they could be. There's even going to be a roller disco there to have fun. But the, the whole ethos of, of, the, of the Summerverse is, is for our readers to have fun and to explore what it's like to be in a, in a platform like Roblox. So I, would, I naturally would not probably think Roblox in, in Cosmo. So how, how did you get to that point of bringing those two together? Well, we, we looked at a few different platforms, to be honest. And I think you know, the key part about what Roblox brought to the, to the party was the fact it's a fun platform. And I think you know, at its core, Cosmo is a fun brand as well. But the other side of it, which is really important for us, was the audience parallel as well. So I mean, Cosmo, out of all of our brands, has the highest proportion of gamers, which is a stat that not many people are aware of. But at the same time, the core heartland of that gamers, uh, the gamer audience is between 17 and 24 years old. And what we found with Roblox is their biggest growing audience is 17 to 24 year olds as well. So it just seemed a perfect time from a UX perspective and from an audience perspective as well. Um, and so in, 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 along that idea of kind of evolution and, and new platforms, Claire, Claire spoke earlier. Claire. Claire spoke earlier about the pandemic having an effect on the event side of the business, which is not a spoiler alert, probably. No. Um, so how is that, I'm assuming, led to Hearst evolving its approach to events? 
Well, we've just actually launched a brand new division. I think, you know, actually broke in the, in the press, in the trade press yesterday. So the division is called Hearstex. And what we found over the last two years was there was a, a big digitalization of experiences in general. We don't really call them events anymore. We actually call them experiences now. Um, and and Hearst, Hearst Live was the, the kind of old way we used to do events that we've been experts in physical events for over 20 years. You'll know some of them from, you know, Bizarre One of the Year to Esquire Townhouse to obviously Cosmo Career Festival as well. But what we also saw during the pandemic was this pickup in virtual events as well. So what we've done with Hearst X is, is actually upskill in terms of we've still got the physical capability to deliver events, but also we've got new expertise in delivering digital experiences as well. So we're launching a suite of new products this year. We've got loads of like AR visualizer tools for our brands. We've got the Summerverse, obviously, which we're talking about now. And we're also talking about launching or actually will be launching an L virtual influencer in the next couple of months. So it's a, it's a bit of an innovation hub now, Hearst X, and it's going to be part of all of our creative offering moving forward. So this definitely is a, a reaction to the, what we've just kind of gone through globally. Do you think this is actually going to be a, a long-term change to the, the way that events are? Yeah, 100%. Approached? I think what we're looking at doing with all of our experiences now is have a physical and, and a digital one. And that's, and that's for two reasons, really. I think the first one is the fact that you know, the physical one is always going to be the one that you probably remember the most. It's vivid, you're there, and it's more exclusive. The digital one allows us to obviously do things at scale as well and, and offer up, I guess, uh, in more inclusivity to our events so we can get them out to more people. And I think the second type is, you know, we, we've got the physical events staying as they are. They need to be more exciting. I think, you know, consumers in general are more interested in innovation and, and how they can be more engaging with the physical events. So we've looked at those as well. But on the digital side, it's like in terms of platforms like Roblox and Fortnite, you can create a completely different experience. I mean, there's no gravity or anything like that in, you know, in these virtual worlds. So you can approach an experience a completely different way. So I think it's all about getting that kind of innovation, exploring new platforms and making sure those platforms play to the strengths of the platform with, with, the, uh, with the event side of it. Um, so, Salian, do you think that the pandemic has rewired our expectations for events? Like even this event, for example, there's lots of people here physically, which is great, um, who we all heard cheering, um, but it's also being streamed. So there's the, do we just now go take for granted that, oh, I can always tap into this in whatever ways best suits me as opposed to previously having a one a one option i think i think that the the pandemic was you know a, a in many ways for this kind of development was an important you know not that much fun at times but an, you know an important kind of beat but actually i think if you if you kind of go further back there has been a progression um where digital art, digital screens, some kind of digital activation has been used within events more and more and more um, right up to the pandemic. And then I think we went totally digital, like the pendulum swung. And now we're kind of finding the happy medium again. And, and we're working with the, you know, the options that we've got. I think I actually think that that curve would have been similar-ish. You know, it would have continued in that direction, whether we had a, the pandemic or not. Technology has developed. We have developed um, the opportunity to have these incredible immersive spaces with, you know, hundreds and thousands and millions of participants. Uh, meanwhile, we still like to get together in, you know, in real life. I, I actually think that we, we would have had this overlaying anyway. Mm. We've just had, exactly, we've just had a huge blip and it's forced lots and lots of people to have to interact in that way. And so, you know, we're, we're now finding the happy medium. We're, you know, where, where is the technology taking us so that we can get what we need from an event and we can make it as, you know, inclusive as possible? And I actually think that's the exciting bit where 
digital spaces, digital only events overlap with in real life. This kind of gray area between that is a, you know, that is you going into a virtual space or being able to interact with a virtual space with a live music, a live audience, or where you've got AR or you can, you know, come together in VR or you can revisit, you know, you come to an in real life event and then you decide that you want to revisit in a digital way thereafter. These moments of just choice, I think that it just gives you a choice. Do I want to join, you know, which way works for me? Yeah. So to build on that, I think that it really helps exactly give people more choice and options depending on what kind of person you are. I know a lot of people have Zoom fatigue, um, but then there's also people that have really kind of grown in being able to present over Zoom. So the the introverts in in our agency in particular have felt more comfortable presenting to the, the entire agency over a Zoom call and it's empowered them to be able to speak at events mm. without being daunted by a hundred faces, which I'm a little bit <laughs> daunted <laughs> by now. <laughs> um, you're normally like all little boxes. Um, yeah. But I think it's allowed people and different types of people to engage in different ways in which in ways in which they feel comfortable with. Mm. And I think when when the work that we do at iCrossing is is tapping into different psychographic behaviours of people and understanding the context in which they work, I think is a lot more powerful um, than kind of gender targeting age it gives you an understanding of who those people are um, so that you can better have have better relevance in their culture and the way that they live their lives and I think just by having those additional options to be able to um, present from home not present from home come in be amongst those of people which can be very overwhelming for people I know that a lot of people have social exhaustion at the end of the day I know when I go into the office I'm like oh my god boyfriend don't talk to me <laughs> I like I've spoken to enough people so it does it gives you that freedom to pick the way that you want to engage and I think that's a lovely um, option to have it virtually and and physically and I know that that's the way that they're selling products virtual with the digital twin um, physical with the digital twin um, and it's nice to see that replicated in events mm-hmm. as well I think something I hadn't really thought about until we were um, having our, our chats ahead of this panel was the idea of exclusivity um, inclusivity in the metaverse mm-hmm. with Sally you touched on a little bit so it'll be good Maria, to get your thoughts about how the metaverse kind of really does um, actually encourage that A hundred percent. I think, obviously, I mean, when we say inclusivity, yes, to a point where you have to have a mobile phone, internet connection, obviously there is still very much a wide population that is excluded from it. So I don't want, I just want to make that a point that it's not for everyone. And and that is something that, that, that needs to be worked on um, and improved. But I think whoever you are, you can be what you want in the metaverse. And I think that inclusivity is is beautiful you can choose your avatar you can make it your identity and who you truly are and I know when we were talking earlier you said you were on Roblox blocks and someone was running around with a fox head I was actually on table tennis I was playing table tennis oh. <laughs> and the guy had a fox head and, and he beat me as well but it was just yeah. you know, that's obviously freedom of expression that's exactly. even in a game of table tennis yeah. you can be expressive yeah in real life you know you probably wouldn't that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> depends where you live. Yeah, so I, <laughs> oh, sorry, so I, I'm just thinking I'm in Brighton. What does that mean? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think yeah. It, it in terms of who you want to be, um, I think it's a very accepting place. It, I know. I was. Just, it's also. I think that a lot of a lot of br- brands. Um, and, and luxury brands are kind of gravitating towards the space for many, many different reasons. But it allows for 
exclusivity and inclusivity, which which is really hard to get in mm. in the you know in the real world. Um, you know, you can have this open platform where you can invite anyone to come and experience the brand, to come and see how your IP translates into a, a virtual world. Um, and it, you know, it can have millions. But you can also, within that virtual space, have small hubs that are exclusive, that, that are you know, kind of the, the version of members only. Or, or maybe it, you know, it'd be nicer to approach it in the you know, enthusiasts. So you know, people that love high heel shoes have their own little hub where they can, um, you know, identify with the history of high heel shoes. People that love caps can have another hub, and and you can kind of have these smaller communities, but within a wider environment. So it's you know, it, it's much easier to have exclusivity and inclusivity and be whoever you want to be on any given day. Would you say that um, what audiences want in the metaverse is different from other platforms? Ooh. I mean, I feel like it's building on <laughs> 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 I think a lot of it's just building on the stuff we have already seen, like we said, but accelerating mm. it. You know, I think one of the, the, some of the core parts of Cosmopolitan as a brand are inclusivity and accessibility. You know, we've put so much time and thought into, into that over the last kind of, you know, five, ten years in particular, but it, it's also a huge part of our heritage. Um, but also around community as well, as we said, you know, community is such an important thing for any brand who's serious about engaging with their audience to think about. Um, you know, and the wonderful thing with Cosmo Cosmopolitan is, yes, you, you engage with the brand, but then we spent a lot of time building up smaller verticals that are more specific or, mm -hmm. you know, nurturing specific content platforms that have their own communities. Um, so I think all of that's really important. And I think, you know, one thing that we saw pre-pandemic was the reason our events were so popular is because people see us as a living, breathing thing. It's not just a flat thing on paper. They want to kind of live in the brand and interact and engage, um, which again, I think is all core parts of what we're talking about here. So I think it's really just the, the evolution of that and all of those things that we're already seeing. Oh, were you going to you say go, you go. No, I was just going to say, you know, I think we've kind of lived a, in, during a time when platforms and uh, the way that we connect has been limited. You know, mm -hmm. we've had to make choices. Like, do you choose to be a written friend? Do you choose to be a friend that, you know, I, I FaceTime with? And, and I think what's happening now is all of these different pockets of choices and ways of connecting are all coming together. And so that it can, so I think we want what we want. And we've always wanted to be more connected. We want, we wanted to come together. And it, it's always been, you know, it's been a slow process. And the metaverse is kind of this, the pinnacle of the, that choice of connection, you know, coming together in an immersive space and being able to, you know, verbally talk to each other, see how my body's reacting to what you're saying. I'll, you know, I can dress in a certain way that can communicate to you how I'm feeling, how I'm thinking, you know, who I am today and beyond, and then have experiences together. It's, you know, it's everything that we have in the real world, but and some. Mm. So it, it, for me, it's a really natural progression. It takes us all the way back to telling stories around the fire. You know, it's very much we're embodied to get, you know, together as a community and we're experiencing this, this narrative together. And we're just like using technology to kind of get back to that closeness mm. that we've always wanted. Yeah, but on yeah. a global scale. Yeah. Which is really cool. It's incredible. <laughs> um, so to bring it back just to the physical real world for a second, we'll come out of the metaverse, <laughs> take off our headsets or however else we're getting into it. Um, there's a very real cost of living crisis that gets mm. spoken about a lot. Um, and so it'll be good to know, Maria, if you think that people will be likely to spend in the, in the virtual world or... <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm, <laughs> I mean, that's a tough one. Um, 
I think when it comes to, I mean, you were saying how, how you spend money on Roblox with your daughter. Yeah, I think there's like, there's, there's, there's treats and there's, there's little spends that, that people do naturally. I think obviously there's people that are, I mean, the stats are horrendous. And I don't want to sit up here being like, people are still going to buy Roblox when they can't afford a meal a day. I mean, I think that it's... I, that's a it's a really there are levels one. I think aren't there 100%. I think there are levels to it and I think one thing we've seen you know over the eight years I've been on Cosmo and looking at you know spend is we actually have seen quite consistent growth in our e-commerce business and particularly over the last couple mm -hmm. of years but what you start to see is maybe the things and the ways they're spending change so it might be that they you know mm -hmm. treat themselves to one big purchase yeah. you know which maybe is an expensive foundation or a nice pair of shoes and some of the other kind of slightly more superfluous things mm -hmm. get cut out so mm -hmm. I think that but as Maria said, the scale, yeah. because, you know, yeah. obviously we're talking about scales of people that might be mm. suffering different financial hardships. So I think, yes, there is still the opportunity to spend, but it is going to be very different for I everyone. Mean, it could be the metaverse version of the lipstick effect where mm. you, you buy uh, something for your mansion <laughs> on Roblox and it's that little treat. But yeah. It's scale, and I, I don't think I can comment. <laughs> but I think you know, the majority of these experiences online are, are free anyway. I mean, yeah. obviously, there's always the option to get peer pressured by your kids into buying Roblox, <laughs> you know, Roblox yeah. or you or know, even even B-Bucks. Other people's kids. Yeah, <laughs> Roblox for I other mean, people's kids. It happens. Kids. But I think yeah, the, the, the key part of it is you can still go to these, these experiences mm. without having to pay for them effectively, apart from obviously the technology you need to get there in the first place. Mm. So I think the important part, obviously, what we're doing with, with the Summerverse specifically is making it as free as it possibly can be. It's about you know getting in there having fun exploring the brand and not being pressured into purchasing things mm. so that's that's really it's, it's something for you know the community to, 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 to yeah. thrive with we are in the red we have 54 <gasps> seconds left so oh, wow. I'm gonna thank you all for all of your amazing insights today round of applause thank you everybody <laughs>